Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and you've tuned into Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Halstead Real Estate, and I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and current vibe of our amazing city. On most shows, like tonight's, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood, exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that New York neighborhood special? And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. Sometimes we host a show about an interesting and vital color of the city that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. In the past, you may have heard episodes on the history of U.S. presidents who lived in New York, the history of the women's suffrage movement. We've talked about the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've even explored the history of bicycles and cycling. They've been part of the city for 201 years. And we've also covered the history of punk and opera. Those were separate programs, obviously. And we've also explored the city's greatest train stations and even some of its bridges. In the future, we'll take you to some of the city's parks, the subway, and even some of their more in, its more interesting cemeteries. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. After the broadcast, you can listen to us on podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other services. Tonight, we're taking one of our frequent trips outside of Manhattan, this time across the 3rd Avenue Bridge. I live about a block from the 3rd Avenue Bridge, and indeed, I have walked to these two neighborhoods, not infrequently, talking about part of the South Bronx, specifically Mott Haven and Port Morris. Our first guest is Professor Lloyd Altan. He's a historian, noted author, and the official borough Bronx, the official Bronx borough historian. Professor Altan received his BA in history from Hunter College in 1959 and his master's from Columbia University in 1960. Professor Altan presently is professor of history at the Edward Williams College of Fairleigh Dickinson University in Hackensack, and he's a member of the adjunct faculty at Lehman College in the Bronx. He served as president of the Bronx County Historical Society from 1971 to 1976. He's published a lot of great works. One is called uh, The Beautiful Bronx, 1920 to 1950. Another book is The Bronx in the Innocent Years, 1890 to 1925. We'll have to ask you what made the Bronx innocent before 1925. Uh, another was called Bronx Accent. And another is Presidents of the United States. <clears throat> and another book, The Legacy of the Revolution, the story of the Valentine Varian House. Professor Ultan is also the founding editor of the Bronx County Historical Society Journal and is renowned for his walking tours. Professor Altan, welcome to Rediscovering New York. Uh, glad to be here. Well, you not only uh, lived the Bronx, you're from the Bronx originally. That's right. I was born in the Bronx, uh, and I've lived in the Bronx my entire life. You majored in history at what was actually the second publicly financed city college when it opened, Hunter College. Did you go to Hunter knowing that you were going to major in history? Uh, absolutely. I was interested in history ever since I was a toddler. I uh, was constantly asking people who were older than I am what happened before I was born. Uh, so I was uh, constantly looking at history and, you know, and, and, and reading about history when I learned how to read. And the first book I ever took out of the public library was a history book. <laughs> wow. You know, with kindred spirits in that sense, I went to, we, we both went to colleges that started as colleges for women, um, and uh, I read encyclopedias when I was young, <laughs> and I went to, to Vassar knowing I would, I would major in history, and so I did. But you actually made the study of and bringing history to others your profession. When did you decide that you wanted to do that? Uh, I rather soon. I, uh, I I was contemplating that when I was in high school, and then uh, when I got into uh, uh, into college, uh, I knew I was going to major in history. It was the thing that I loved the most. And obviously, there are only three things you can do with history: uh, you can write it, uh, you can teach it. Or you could make it. And the only way you could really make money steadily is to teach it. So I knew I was going to teach history. <laughs> and did you always want to have the history of your native borough figure prominently in your work? Uh, that really happened almost by accident. <laughs> it's oh, a, uh, huh. Yeah. The, uh, when I uh, majored in, uh, in, in, uh, in history at, uh, at the graduate level, I uh, was thinking in terms of the American Revolution, the 200th anniversary of the revolution was about to come up, and uh, 
uh, I discovered uh, the Bronx County Historical Society, and being a professionally trained historian, when I saw their free public lectures, which I attended because the price was right, <laughs> uh, the uh, I. I uh, I suddenly realized that the history of the Bronx was really the history of the nation in microcosm. Every important movement in the history of the country uh, basically happened in the Bronx. So you could use the Bronx basically as a, uh, uh, as a focal point and to see whether or not uh, it, uh, the interpretation of what had happened, why it happened, and what the causes uh, were and uh, what the consequences were, uh, nationwide also happened in the Bronx, and if so, uh, why? And if not, what makes the Bronx different? Hmm. What do you think makes the Bronx different? Well, I always say the people, uh, because the uh, uh, it's extraordinary how friendly the people of the Bronx are, and how welcoming they are to the other. Um, I have rarely found that anywhere else uh, I had visited in the world. Now, that doesn't mean I visited every place. <laughs> but I, wherever I've gone, I find uh, uh, there may be some, uh, you know, uh, hostility or hesitation or uh, uh, some sort of backup when, the, uh, when a person approaches. I don't find that in the Bronx. Um, I, I, I find that uh, it's also very interesting that the neighborhoods, by and large, are integrated um, these days. Uh, it used to be that uh, you would have one neighborhood that would be largely of one ethnic group and another neighborhood of another. Nowadays, it's not as that way. Uh, it's, it's more that you have at least two or three different ethnic groups in a particular neighborhood. Hmm. How did you come to be uh, uh, accredited as the official borough historian of the Bronx? I don't think that there's an official Brooklyn historian. There is. There is? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm out of the loop, obviously. uh, uh, There's a a law in New York State that says that every county in the state has to have a, a historian appointed by the local appointing authority. Now, according to that same law, uh, the for the counties that are the five boroughs of the city of New York, they refer to as the as the borough historian, and officially it's called borough historian. And uh, we are appointed by our respective borough presidents, and we serve at his pleasure, which means we can be fired at any time. And uh, we have certain uh, roles that we must perform that are stated in the law. Um, such as uh, you know, making sure that uh, the uh, records and the uh, archives are preserved, and if anything goes wandering, we're supposed to track it down and drag it back. We're supposed to encourage people to uh, uh, to save their records uh, so that the history can be written. And for this great task, uh, we are given a six-figure salary, but unfortunately, by that very same state law, all six figures are zero. Oh. <laughs> Well, but it must be an honor to be to be the official borough historian, especially the place where you grew up and, and, yeah. and dreamed of, of, of sharing history with other people. Oh, yeah. People. Well, you know, basically, it, it the people who are the borough historians, and I'm sure the county historians and the rest of the state, uh, do it for the love of it. Do you get to go to an annual state convention of all 63? <laughs> Is it 62 or 63 counties? Well, there, there, yeah, there, there are occasions when the New York State historian calls a meeting of, uh, you know, of all of oh. the historians in the state, and we get to talk over old times. Oh. <laughs> well, then I suppose he or she can break a tie, since that would be 63, unlike in the state Senate, which is 62 people. We can actually have a tie. Um, well, getting to the Bronx history, uh, before we, we talk about Mott Haven and Port Morris, something that people wonder, I've wondered, is, is how did the Bronx get its name? And why is there a the in front of the Bronx? You don't have yeah. the Brooklyn, the Manhattan, <laughs> the Staten Island. Yeah. Well, that, that's the most asked question. Uh, the, um, uh, in 1639, uh, there was a guy who was uh, born in Sweden, uh, who decided to make the big swim across the Atlantic, and uh, he uh, purchased land on the mainland. Uh, his name was Jonas Bronk, B-R-O-N-C-K, native of Sweden, but he had uh, he had sojourned in Amsterdam and had become a uh, merchant sea captain. And he got married, and he decided to move to uh, the New World and have land, which was, of course, a measure of wealth then. Uh, 
Now, he died in 1643 at the age of 43, which was uh, the, the natural life expectancy in those days. Uh, but after he died, the only thing that was named after him that retained its name through all the years was uh, Bronx's River. Uh, B-R-O-N-C-K apostrophe S. Try writing that with a quill pen. (laughs) It's a little difficult. So they abbreviated it B-R-O-N-X. And uh, so it was the Bronx River. And uh, what happened was that the Bronx was originally part of Westchester County, New York. And it became part of New York City in two separate stages. All the western half of the Bronx, west of the Bronx River, uh, was annexed to the city in 1874. And east of the Bronx City, it was annexed in 1895. And it was in 1898 that uh, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island were annexed to the city. And at that time, they set up the borough system, and it was decided that the two areas previously annexed should also become a borough, but it never had a name before. So they looked at a map, and right smack in the middle of this amorphous territory ran the Bronx River. So they named it after the river, the borough of the Bronx, and that's why it's the Bronx. So we get to the Bronx. Very right. interesting. Um, so uh, Jonas Bronck came and bought his uh, property during the Dutch time. Do we know... Uh, of local people who were here before the Dutch settled the area? Uh, there were not that many. Uh, they were uh, uh, basically scattered. Uh, the population of the Bronx was very, very, very low, uh, below 300 <laughs> at that time for the, what is now the entire Bronx. Uh, <clears throat> so he, uh, uh, you have some people who are of a, uh, 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 you know, of Dutch background, that lived in farms around the Bronx. Some of the indentured servants that Jonas Bronk brought with him were Dutch. Uh, oh, but, okay. but after he died, they, uh, they scattered and went elsewhere. Do, what happened in the area after the English took control uh, in 1664? Well, basically, uh, they wanted to be sure that everybody had uh, titles of the land that they owned. And so they had to... Real uh, property. <laughs> real, real property. And they, uh, uh, they had to re-register <laughs> that property with the English. Uh, the English uh, sort of changed names of, uh, of, of places. But one of the people who had uh, purchased the land that Bronck had owned before the English had actually taken over uh, was the, uh, a guy by the name of Richard Morris. And unfortunately, he and his wife died within months of each other after their son was born. Their son was named after Richard Morris's brother, Lewis Morris. So now you had two Lewis Morrises. And in every generation, you have a Lewis Morris, which makes, you know, very difficult to follow things. Uh, But some of those uh, Morrises uh, got to be very, very prominent uh, in history. Uh, That Lewis Morris that was born uh, in that territory, which is now Mott Haven, that's where the the the, the, uh, the house was, uh, uh, became the first uh, native-born chief justice of the colony of New York and the first royal governor of the colony of New Jersey. And he was uh, one of the people who was uh, uh, involved and backed uh, the case of John Peter Zenger, which eventually led to the principle of freedom of the press. Mm. His, his, he had two grandsons, one of whom was also called Lewis Morris, who did nothing in his life but sign the Declaration of Independence. And uh, uh, his, Semi-significant. <laughs> yes. And his half-brother, Governor Morris, uh, was one of the principal framers of the Constitution of the United States. And in fact, he was given the task of taking the scattered resolutions of the uh, Constitutional Convention and putting it together into some literary form. So the Constitution of the United States is actually written in Governor Morris's style of writing. Wow. And we can credit all that to natives of the Bronx. Absolutely. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with the Bronx Borough historian, Professor Lloyd Altan. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.
Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back to Rediscovering New York and this episode about two, well, really one neighborhood with two separate parts uh, in the South Bronx, Mott Haven and Port Morris. Uh, my first guest is Professor Lloyd Altan, who's the Bronx Borough Historian. Professor Altan, um, what is, of all the books you've written, what would you say is your favorite book about the Bronx? Oh, I never play favorites. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never do that. I, I You know, when I... Uh, when I read a book, uh, that's my favorite book at the time I'm reading it. And then I read another book, and then that's my favorite book. So you don't want to two-time anybody that you're... Uh, uh, oh, all right. Never. No, we, don't, we, would not, we would not ask you to do that. Um, you also give walking tours. What kind of tours do you give? Uh, well, I, uh, I have done Mott Haven. <clears throat> and I've done the lower part of the Grand Concourse. I've done Riverdale. I've done the uh, the upper part of the Grand Concourse. I've done uh, the Westchester Square area, and I've done uh, uh, the area between uh, Allerton Avenue and the Gun Hill Road along the Bronx River, uh, and among other places. <laughs> if someone wanted to, if any of our listeners wanted to find out about your tours, how would they do that? Well, I think the best way to do it is to uh, contact the Bronx County Historical Society. Uh, the Bronx County Historical Society, uh, uh, if they um, ha- contact the website, uh, which is uh, uh, bronxhistoricalsociety.org, uh, and uh, they will find posted there uh, the, uh, the walking tours that they have, and also uh, I would be part of them. Great. All right. Well, getting back to the history of Mott Haven and Port Morris, let's move to the 19th century. Um, uh, what were the first developments uh, beyond the pastoral environment that we would have found? Were well, they industrial? Were they residential? It was, it was industrial, and it was all the idea of a fellow by the name of Jordan L. Mott. Hence now, Mott Haven. That's correct. Ah. Now, Jordan L. Mott was the inventor of the coal-burning stove, but at the time when he invented it, uh, no iron founder would uh, would touch it with a 10-foot pole. Uh, they thought it would be a failure. So Mott started his own ironworks. It was started in Manhattan, and in 1841, he purchased the lands uh, east of what is today 3rd Avenue in the Bronx um, from the Morris family, and uh, he renamed it Mott Haven. His idea was not only to build a, a uh, his own iron foundry there, but for the rest of the property, uh, it was to become what we today would call an industrial park. So this idea of an industrial park really, in a sense, started with him. And he, he got other uh, industrialists to build there, and that is why Mott Haven became an industrial area initially. And replete with uh, an industrial canal. Yeah, and that was uh, Jordan L. Mott had it built. Uh, today, it is the uh, the root of Canal Place. It was filled in in the early twentieth century because it was polluted. Uh, but the idea was that uh, you know this was the Canal Era, the Erie Canal, and all of that sort of thing. And the idea was that the um, uh, you could get 
goods coming by water, which at the time was the fastest and most convenient and cheapest way to travel uh, to uh, to Mott Haven that way. And that's the way he would get shipments of, uh, of, of lumber and coal. When did substantial residential development start in Mott Haven? Uh, practically uh, right after Jordan L. Mott came. Obviously, you had to have people who would be working in his iron foundry. And uh, the buildings that were built for residential purposes closest to the iron foundry uh, were the ones for the poorest people. And the further away you got from the iron foundry, uh, it, it, the, uh, the socioeconomic class got higher and higher and higher. The people who started coming in to work at the iron foundry were mostly immigrant Irish. And... Um, uh, the area remained Irish well into the, uh, the the second half of the 20th century. When would Monhaven begin taking on elements of the neighborhood that we start recognizing today in terms uh, of the structures? Ni- 1943. Uh, there was a, uh, uh, you know, the people had lived through the Great Depression. World War II uh, caused many, many more jobs to become open and available. And people from the South and from the island of Puerto Rico came up for those jobs. And the pattern of segregation in the North uh, was that uh, while there was no law supporting it, uh, you had a black neighborhood, and that's where you went if you were black. And uh, the Puerto Ricans settled right near the Italians in East Harlem. Uh, because they figured that the, they they could understand the uh, the Italian language better than any other, uh, <laughs> since they're both you know uh, Latin based. Uh, in 1943, the area became so overcrowded. There was a riot that broke out, and a number of blacks and Puerto Ricans started coming across the Harlem River to settle in Mott Haven. At that time, most of the people who were living there were Irish, uh, with a number of uh, Jews and uh, and Germans. Uh, living there. And when they came in, the people there organized to welcome them. Now, this is very odd. Uh, Most people don't expect that. Uh, But what happened is that the people there said, well, you know, their kids are in our schools. Uh, They have a right to be represented on the executive committee of the Parent Teachers Association. So they went out of their way to elect blacks and Puerto Ricans to the Parent Teachers Association, and then they took turns meeting in each other's homes. The merchants in the area said, these people need jobs. They may not have the skills that we need, but we will hire them anyway, and we will teach them the skills. Now, this is 1943, not 1963. Think of this. Wow, that's that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So this might have been one of the earliest parts of New York City that really empowered uh, different people, including, mm-hmm. well, well, people from Puerto Rico are not immigrants. They were migrants. They were migrants. That's uh, correct. But people from different places to actually right. be take an active role right. in uh, uh, the governing institutions of their children's education and, and other things that really impacted their community. That's right. Wow, and that's all in the Bronx. I didn't that's all in the Bronx. Wonderful. Yeah, then you know, and it's all documented. <laughs> when did public transportation provide access to the South Bronx from Lower Manhattan? Well, the uh, the uh, in eighteen forty one, the same year that Jordan L. Mott started his iron foundry in the area, uh, the uh, what eventually became the New York and Harlem River Railroad crossed the uh, the. Uh, the Harlem River, uh, and eventually had a stop in Mott Haven. Uh, that New York and Harlem River Railroad is today the Harlem Division of Metro North. Uh, now, that was, of course, uh, you could get there, public transportation, and a lot of people started coming up to the mainland to escape the, uh, you know, the smoke and pollution of New York City and to live in a nice suburban environment. It spurred the the creation of suburban villages. Uh, Now, the first uh, uh, local, uh, in a sense, uh, railroad that we had uh, came in 1882 with the 3rd Avenue L. The 3rd Avenue L crossed into the Bronx in 1882, established its first station down there in Mott Haven. Did that go over the 3rd Avenue Bridge? or was it No, it did no? not. It okay. did not go over the 3rd Avenue Bridge because 3rd Avenue in the Bronx does not coincide with the end of 3rd Avenue in Manhattan. So it actually went up until uh, uh, 144th Street. 
in the backyards of tenement houses. Uh, tenement houses also mean really me apartment houses. That's what a tenement is as tenants. Mm. Um, so, uh, and there are some films that show, uh, you know, the third Avenue L actually going, uh, you know, right by the, uh, the windows of the people who are, you know, having dinner or, uh, you know, or getting ready to go to sleep or things like that. Uh, and of course, in more recent history, um, the Southern part of the Bronx, uh, certainly the, the, the South Bronx that I knew of and grew up with in the late 60s and 70s was synonymous with what many people experience as the darker side of mm-hmm. city living, of urban decay, mm-hmm. decline, and, and, and abandonment. But it didn't start in the 60s. How did the construction of the highway system that Robert Moses was so influential and contribute to the, the downward uh, uh, trend par- of the neighborhood? Partially. It was not the main, major, not, mm-hmm. not the main reason. Uh, the actual reason is that the uh, the building stock got, grew older, and once a build, building gets to be the age of forty, it begins to deteriorate at a greater rate. And uh, during um, World War II, you had a rent control, and that froze the income of landlords. But at the same time, uh, you also had price control, so it didn't make that much difference because the prices uh, would be in accord with what you would get. But after World War II was over, uh, they got rid of the price control. But not rent control. But not rent control. And so uh, the landlord uh, now had his income uh, really uh, short uh, for what he needed in order to repair the buildings. All he could do was deferred maintenance. He had to wait until something really fell apart before he could apply the, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the remedy and, and repair what was wrong. Uh, at the same time, there was also uh, a great desire. Remember, these people had gone through the Great Depression to have affordable housing for people to live who were poor. And so there was a great buildup of high-rise public housing projects. Uh, and in Mott Haven, you would have the, uh, uh, for instance, the John Poroy Mitchell houses, and uh, uh, as well as several others. And as uh, as a result, you had large portions of Mott Haven destroyed, and these public housing projects put up in its place. The people who were in the path of those houses had to leave, uh, but it did provide excellent housing at the time, uh, and more parkland. Uh, because it was, uh, uh, it opened up the area, and the idea was to have the people living in the housing projects and the people who were not uh, get together by having no shops in the public housing projects and by having playgrounds in the public housing projects that the kids all over could use. It didn't quite work, uh, but it was an attempt. Uh, now the. Uh, in nineteen uh, in the 1930s, Robert Moses built the tri was called became the Triborough Bridge, and uh, every highway that he built uh, to it actually destroyed some area, either industrial or commercial or residential. But it was only part of the problem uh, that came about. Um, what happened was the housing was that you had a uh, you would have a. Uh, an unscrupulous person come along and buy the property from a landlord who was very glad to get this headache off his hands and uh, then milk it dry, not providing any services, but taking all the rent, then uh, taking out a, uh, a very large uh, fire insurance policy and buying and then uh, paying an arsonist to, 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 uh, to put it down. And then they would walk away with all that money. And sadly, there was a lot of arson in the Bronx. Um, mm-hmm. But more recently, like many neighborhoods in New York, we've seen a change for the mm-hmm. better in Mott Haven, a rebirth of sorts. There, mm-hmm. um, the last several decades, there have been low-income co-ops, community gardens, and now there are actually not many vacant lots left in Mott Haven. Yeah, there, uh, there are hardly any. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's been commercial and retail development, especially along Alexander Avenue and Lincoln Avenue. We're going to be speaking with one of those uh, entrepreneurs in our next segment. 
Uh, and uh, from a real estate perspective, property values in homes have also increased substantially over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Professor Olten, we're out of time for our segment. Thank you so much for being a guest on Rediscovering New York. Our first guest has been Professor Lloyd Altan, the official Bronx Borough President. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Bronx Borough Historian. Ruben Diaz Jr. is going is to yeah, have my head for that right, one. Yeah, don't promote uh, me that quickly. It's um, <laughs> uh, Professor Altan has a number of books. Uh, one of them is The Beautiful Bronx, 1920 to 1950. And you can also find out about his walking tours at bronxhistoricalsociety.org. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to speak with our second guest, who's one of these entrepreneurs who has been helping to revitalize Mott Haven. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back. Support for Rediscovering New York comes from our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And support also comes from the law offices of Tom Siaka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Our show is about New York, especially its neighborhoods, in the myriad textures of our amazing city. There's another great show on the air about New York, and specifically about the business of real estate. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco, who, by the way, is my friend and colleague at Halstead. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. You can hear him on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like this show on Facebook. It's called Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I know it's an original name, but there you have it. And you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is JeffGoodmanNYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, Jeff at RediscoveringNewYork.nyc. One of the note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about the real estate business in New York, when I am not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city, where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our next guest is one of those creative entrepreneurs that we talked about at the end of the first segment. It's Amaris Grouillon. He's a creative entrepreneur based in the South Bronx. He co-founded Bronx Native, a brand that embodies what he and his partner assert that the Bronx truly is. 
Bronx Native highlights and showcases their borough through apparel, art, media, events, and more. Their goal is to change the narrative and negative stigmas of people in the Bronx by expressing how beautiful their home, people, and Bronx culture are. They currently have two retail businesses, the other retail businesses, the other is called Bronx Native Market, which they utilize as cultural hubs for their creations and the artists and entrepreneurs they work with. An essential part of their mission is that they make apparel that promotes pride and empowerment. We're going to talk about that. Bronx Native also works hand-in-hand with the community to tackle common issues that they experience. They have previously previously collaborated with AOC. For those of you who don't know the acronym, that's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the member of Congress from the Southern Bronx and also part of Queens. Viceland, Netflix, Red Bull, and others to spread their mission and show everyone what the Bronx has to offer. Amaura Skuryong, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you. Thank you for having me. True pleasure. You are from the Bronx. Are you from Mount Haven originally? I am from the Boogie Down Bronx, South South Bronx, uh, Longwood, Hunts Point area. Oh. Yes. Is this, is Bronx Native your, your first business? Uh, no, actually. So in uh, 2014, I uh, started a creative agency called Get Studios, which provided multimedia services for local businesses in the Bronx. And then in 2016 was when the idea of Bronx Native came about, and we started doing that. Mm. How did you and your partner, who, by the way, is your sister, Rosalind, yes. how did you come up with the idea for Bronx Native? Um, you know, I was born and raised in the Bronx and, uh, my whole life I've heard negative things about my home, my borough, my people. Right. And, um, I always knew I needed to do something to change the narrative, change the stigma. Um, and, and I also remember that one night, uh, late 2015, when me and my sister were online looking for Bronx-based merchandise, merchandise that empowered us, that identified us, uh, merchandise that uh, captured Bronx history and Bronx culture, and we couldn't find none of it, my man. All I saw was Brooklyn merch. I saw NY. Well, I'm from Brooklyn. I can see. Uh, that's, that's dope. That's dope. That's dope. But, uh, you know, and then no. I said, you know, how can my home birthplace of so many incredible things, birthplace of hip-hop, salsa, uh, um, so much history, so much diversity. Um, we don't have uh, something to call our own, right? So I made it. Uh, we made it our mission to create this brand that embodied the Bronx, to showcase the Bronx how it should be showcased, and essentially put the Bronx on the map. What kinds of products did you first think of selling in the business? Um, sim- you know, simple T-shirts. We were like, you know, um, we we saw a problem, and uh, we created a solution for that problem. Right? There was no- nothing in the market that represented us, and uh, we we uh, tackled that. I come from a creative background. Um, my sister is a fashion designer, a, a design student. Uh, so we kind of just put our heads together and said, uh, let's create these T-shirts uh, that represent the Bronx how it should be. So we started with T-shirts hats, hoodies, jackets, and now we have a wide uh, assortment of uh, different uh, merchandise, accessories, and more. What would you say makes the apparel especially reflective of, of the Bronx? Um, all of our merchandise uh, takes things from, you know, things that we see on a day-to-day basis here in the Bronx, things from our history, things from our culture. Uh, I love the image yes. on your website right away. Yes. It's, it's sort of taking back that image of the building that is burned out, but it look, yes. it's really, it's really uh, quite striking to see it on, on your website. Definitely. You know, when when we started the brand, uh, we were very... we knew we needed a visually the visual language for the brand had to be something powerful uh something meaningful and co- kind of a call to action right something that combined the the old school uh bronx to the new school bronx uh so we did use uh the imagery of kind of a, a tenement from back in the days uh but the font is a bit more modern and the colors and stuff like that so we definitely take elements from uh different generations here in the bronx mm-hmm. yeah Amaudis, what are the values that you wanted to embody in the business and in the brand? Uh, Definitely a community brand, right? When we first started, it it wasn't necessarily number one about the merchandise. It was about creating a brand that tackled issues uh, that we go through on a day-to-day basis, right? Health, uh, inequality, um, just the perception and and these negative stigmas that the Bronx has. Um, And we do that through art, through creativity, through merchandise, through events, and through all of these different things. So definitely heavy, heavy on the community aspect and definitely creating a brand by the Bronx for the Bronx. How would you say that the apparel that you and Rosalind have created actually promote pride and empowerment? What is it about it that, that mm-hmm. really... Um, you know, number one, uh, like I said, the visual language, the branding, the aesthetics of the brand, uh, even uh, our shops, right? When we first uh, opened up our first shop, 
uh, we definitely wanted to create an authentic BX experience, right? When people come in, they feel the energy. They feel the Bronx, right? From the walls, anyone that comes in can tag up the walls. It's an interactive experience to our events, right? Open mics. We're a platform for up-and-coming artists, up-and-coming entrepreneurs. We want to... Um, when know, do you have events yeah. like that? Sorry. Uh, we have it like uh, once a month, our open mics. Uh, right now, we're doing a financial literacy workshop that we do once a month as well, uh, you know, providing resources and providing uh, these things that, you know, me growing up, I didn't see in the Bronx. So now that I have this platform, now that I have this brand, um, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. And I want to give as much as I can to my community. What kind of community work are you involved with? Because I noticed on, uh, on the website that, mm-hmm. that you and your sister do get involved in community events. What, what kind of a, uh, community participation? Yeah, you uh, definitely. You know, we work with a various uh, amount of uh, nonprofits in the Bronx, um, other businesses. Uh, you know, we've done events called uh, The Bronx is Healthy, you know, tackling the Not 62 uh, issue, the, the, where the unhealthiest county. Uh, education, we go to the schools, talk to the kids about entrepreneurship, um, talk to them about creativity and about community and how you can combine all of these things. That's how, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you can make it in the Bronx and not, you know, have to leave. You know, we we're, we're taught like, okay, you got to make it, leave the Bronx. You know, but I'm 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 trying to empower these these kids and I'm trying to show them that entrepreneurship is a, a future that you can have here in the Bronx. Mm. Yeah. Oh, great. Let's talk a little bit about Mont Haven and the location. Um, how did you choose the location for Bronx Lander? By the way, for our listeners who don't know the neighborhood, the address is 127 Lincoln Avenue. Yes. It's, across, it's across from the famous Clock Tower uh, Apartments now. Also, where uh, Charlie's Bar and Grill is. And, uh, yes, I, I live about a 10-minute walk, and on more than one occasion, I've, gone, I've walked across the 3rd Avenue Bridge. And uh, mm-hmm. walked down the ramp and, uh, and gone, not to Bronx Native, which I'm going to have to do, but to Charlie. You come how, did, through. how did you choose the location? Um, because it's pretty, you know, in some senses, it's, it's, it's a little bit removed from mm-hmm. part of Mount Haven. It's, yeah. real, it's below the highway and that, that strip along Bruckner Boulevard. How did you choose that? that? Definitely. You know, um, I didn't necessarily choose the spot. You know, it, it, it really it happened very organically. It chose um, you? Almost like it a chose me. I, I, I tell everyone I didn't choose the Bronx. The Bronx chose me. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and this has been a very awesome um, experience because it had happened so organically and so... Um, uh, you know, so easily. So we, I started going to Mott Haven because of all the activity that was happening around Mott Haven during uh, 2015. There was a lot of events. There was a lot of artists um, and just people coming together to break bread, to network, and to make it happen. Um, and this, I, I remember seeing this spot that was open, and uh, somebody, you know, it, it was it was uh, the landlord or the the grandson of the actual landlord of the space shot me a message through Instagram. He said, hey, would you want to do a pop-up shop here in this, uh, here in this, um, in this space? And we were essentially, in the beginning, just supposed to be there for two weeks. So it was supposed to be only a two-week pop-up where we sell our merchandise, do all of this. Uh, but we really captivated the community, captivated the Bronx, engaged with everyone. Um, and from two weeks, it became two years. So we've been there for two years now, and it's been an incredible experience. Wow. Mm-hmm. When did you decide to open the second location? Um, about six months ago. Um, I'm originally from Longwood Hunts Point area, right? So when this opportunity came up, um, you know, some people around Hunts Point that, that want the best for Hunts Point and want to see it grow uh, reached out to me and said, hey, look, there's a space similar size to your, to your store. We would love to, to bring that synergy that and, you know, everything you're doing in Mott Haven and bring it to Hunts Point. And I said, you know what? Let's do it. You know, we're spreading the good news. We're doing this. So we, we were able to solidify uh, a second location in Hunts Point called the Bronx Native Market, which is essentially a marketplace for creatives, entrepreneurs in the Bronx to sell their merchandise and to make it happen. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Amaris Grullon, a co-founder and partner in Bronx Native. We'll be back in a minute. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. 
If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com We're back to Rediscovering New York and this episode on Mott Haven and Port Morris in the South Bronx. My second guest is Amaudis Grullon, who's the co-founder and partner in Bronx Native. Amaudis, do you have any special events coming up at either one of your locations in the next couple of weeks that you can tell our listeners about? Uh, yes. So um, definitely uh, uh, stay tuned on our Instagram, uh, The Bronx Native, and on our Facebook as well. Uh, we're going to start our open mic series again uh, for up-and-coming artists, anyone that wants to come through uh, and utilize our platform to express themselves and make, do their thing. Uh, so that's coming up late February. Um, this Saturday, though, we do have um, one of the workshops, the financial literacy workshop, and it's actually on real estate. Oh. So we have somebody coming in and talking. It'll be Saturday, February 8th. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Saturday, February 8th. Uh, so definitely come by. You know, And like I said, these uh, events happen you know, every week almost. We have a, a wide variety of events, so definitely stay tuned and follow us and come through. What time is it on, on Saturday? Um, it's from 5 to 8. P.M.? Yes. And that's going to be a Bronx Native or a Bronx at Native Market? Bronx Native Shop, 127 could, Lincoln Avenue. Walk across the bridge? Yes, <laughs> yes, come through. <laughs> Are you working on any photography and video projects right now? Also, because I know you do that as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're always work, working on different projects. One of the projects uh, we're currently um, always working on is... Um, the Bronx Native um, series where we interview uh, different Bronx Natives and, uh, you know, it's like these little mini documentaries where they talk about what they're doing. Uh, so that's up and coming and you'll see more of that definitely soon. Well, let's talk a little more about Mott Haven. Yes. Describe the vibe of the neighborhood. What do you like about it? Um, you know, I was very attracted to the neighborhood, like I said, very early on because of all the, the, the activity that was happening, right? There's a lot of artists there, a uh, wide range from photographers to entrepreneurs, uh, a lot of new businesses coming up um, that we collaborate with. Um, and, and there's this sense of community. You know, the Bronx always has a sense of a community, but Mott Haven really felt like um, – I could be included, me as a creative, me as an entrepreneur, and there's so many like-minded individuals in the in the neighborhood that I really felt welcome, and it's really dope. Yeah. Did you experience and discover this uh, before you opened Bronx Native? Or? Yes. yes, you did. Yes, I actually did. Uh, it was before. Um, I remember. Um, Want to shout out Jerome Lamar, which is one of the first people that opened up a little boutique there. And I remember going there um, at least three times a week and just chatting, and it was just so so dope. Um, and then little by little, we were able to solidify the space, and now we're established there. Mm. Is there anything that you feel makes Mott Haven and Port Morris unique compared to, say, where you grew up in Longwood and Hunts Point? Mm -hmm. Is there anything that's that's different about 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 Mott Haven? Yeah, I, I just feel like it's a different. Um, uh, you're more free. To, to open things that you're not necessarily used to in the Bronx, right? Like galleries, right? Co uh, coffee shops, uh, places that uh, let you express um, who you are, uh, your creativity. Um, and, and this just a place that uh, allows you to do that. You know what I mean? I think uh, our business wouldn't be where it's at now if we weren't in Mott Haven. Mott Haven has allowed us to flourish, has allowed us to um, have more eyes on us and to collaborate with the right people. Hmm. Do you think the name you've only been you've only been you've been you've been in your business for two years? Mm -hmm. 
Um, do you think the neighborhood has changed at all since, since you opened Bronx Native? Have uh, you seen any changes? Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. It hasn't been uh, uh, an incredible change, but definitely, uh, you know, uh, a lot of new development happening, um, a lot of new people, more tourists coming by because of the exposure of Mount Haven, um, and, and definitely more activity. You know what I mean? It's not it's not a place where it's, it's constant uh, traffic going back and forth, but it's definitely a destination space that a lot of people enjoy. There's a lot of bars. There's a lot of uh, places to have fun and entertain. Mm. Do you know if most of your customers live in the South Bronx Amatis, or do they come from outside of Mont Haven to to patronize your business? <laughs> I definitely. Do you have uh, a sense? <laughs> uh, no, no, definitely fr- from around the Bronx. You know, n- not not most of our. Most of our audience doesn't come necessarily just from Mount Haven. It comes from all over uh, the Bronx. But we have some also international people that, that follow us, you know, and come by uh, and stop by at Bronx Center because they've seen what we've been doing. They've seen us either on articles, New York Times, Viceland, and all these things. So yeah. That's amazing to get that kind of traction. Because, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you are a little bit out of the way compared to a, a lot yeah. of people's journeys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, not me, but a lot of people you yeah, know, who, yeah. who don't. Uh, not from the South Bronx and don't hang out in the South Bronx yeah. to, to go to Mount Haven to, uh, yeah, to no, visit I've, you. It's, it's really dope when we see people from Germany, France, um, and all these places embracing what we're doing and embracing the Bronx. Um, and it's part of our mission, right, to showcase the Bronx how it should and, 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 sh- uh, and shed light on what the Bronx really is about. You know, So it's awesome. As a business owner, is there anything that you think you struggle with in, in Mount Haven? Um, in Mount Haven, I mean, uh, uh, it's, it's um, you know, things that any business person, any entrepreneur would struggle with. You know what I mean? Um, you know, the business side of things. Me coming from a creative background, the create, you know, I could create shirts forever, right? Uh, but the business side is definitely something that uh, I struggle with a little bit. But that's something that, uh, you know, anybody would in business. Mm. Well, you've been in business on Lincoln Avenue for two years now. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that surprises you now about Mount Haven and Port Morris? Um, it's just surprising how uh, how it uh, how attractive it is to to uh, people. You know, because we've been I compare it a little bit to Hunts Point. Now that we have a second shop there. Um, and even though like and Hunts Point's kind of the South Bronx too. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's definitely it's not too far. You know, right down the sixth line. Um, but you could tell, like, even though Hunts Point has way more, uh, you know, organic traffic, where it's like people going back and forth, um, like I said, uh, you know, they, they, it's not as accepting as Mott Haven is to what we're doing. You know what I mean? How so? Well, how, 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 um, how, why the difference, do you think? Um, how, the how Mott the Haven uh, shop is more of, like I said, a destination spot, like people go out of their way to come in you know oh, what i mean okay. and so like and even though there's not that organic traffic going back and forth uh, we actually get more people still in the Mott haven area than in hunts point right so um that that's the difference that i'm seeing you know what i mean so it's just like uh, then that's why i said Mott haven has allowed us to flourish in a way that maybe we wouldn't be flourishing in other neighborhoods you know so. that's great that that you've also become uh, a magnet uh, and almost uh, an anchor for the neighborhood and mm-hmm. people uh, who come to see you mm-hmm. and then might decide to uh see other things in, in Mount Haven. yes yes no no we tell them everything you know uh, from the history to other places to to go uh, check out, and like I said, it's, it's it's a nice little ecosystem. You know what I mean? There's the Lip Bar, there's Bistro, there's Mount Haven Bar and Grill. All of these businesses kind of just work together, and uh, somebody can literally spend one whole day in like those two blocks, Alexander Avenue and Lincoln Avenue, and have a good time from having good food to uh, you know live music to uh, buying a book. To, you know, so it's it's just a nice little uh, neighborhood that is in the come up, and we're happy to be part of it. You know, and going to the brewery. <laughs> That's a fact. Yes, yeah. the Bronx Brewery, uh, Port Morris Distillery. <laughs> a lot of uh, you know, there's a bit of a nightlife too that is is brewing there as well. That is that is uh, attracting, and it's very fun to be around. As a business owner, is there anything that you wish was in the neighborhood about us that's not there right now? Um. Which is a hint maybe to other entrepreneurs who are listening to think, okay, what can, what can I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I just wanted to see it grow. I, I want to see more of what, of what we're already doing um, and just want to see that uh, duplicated and, and, and tripled and just continue to uh, see our community grow in Mount Haven. Yeah. Do you see yourself setting up another business in Mount Haven? 
Um, definitely, man. Yeah, 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 of course, man. Um, like I said, you know, uh, we were very lucky to um, have our first shop in Mott Haven. And if we could open up another shop there or, or something else uh, that correlates with our brand and what we're doing, we'll definitely do that. Yes. Mm. Is there any advice that you'd have for, since I asked you about you, if, you've, if there's anything that you wish in the neighborhood that wasn't, is there any advice that you would, any particular advice that you'd have for someone who was thinking about opening a business as to something that's specific about, about Mont Haven yeah. in terms of advice to setting up their business that would be different? Uh, mm-hmm. other places? Definitely, you know, um, making your business um, be inclusive to all and, um, you know, talking you know being a part of the native the 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 natives and people that are already there and 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 catering you know not forgetting about the people that have been there and and stuff like that and just because there's a lot of new movements there's a lot of new people in the neighborhood not necessarily just catering to them uh but start with the people that have been there and have you know put their blessed foot in tears and 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 everything and not forgetting about that yes right Mm -hmm. great well listen thank you so much for being a guest on rediscovering new york thank you uh we've just heard from our second guest amaudis grillon he is a creative entrepreneur who's the co-founder and partner in bronx native it's on lincoln avenue in mont haven well, we've just finished this journey to the South Bronx, uh, well, specifically Mont Haven and Port Morris. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook, and also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. The, handles on, the handle on those channels is jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage, and the law offices of Thomas Siaka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off. I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Halstead in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I are dedicated to our clients, and we provide the best service in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc.
You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 